I want to particularly look with you tonight at the first 10 verses of Acts 28. So our study is related to, although not quite the same as what is on the printed sheet. Acts 28, verses 1 to 10. The Apostle Paul is under arrest. Uh, He's under the Roman authority, the centurion and the soldiers, and he's on his way to Rome. He has appealed to Caesar, and therefore he's been taken to that highest court in the Roman Empire, and uh, that's where he is. But as we read, he narrowly escapes drowning from a shipwreck, as do the others uh, shipwrecked off Malta, uh, some 60 miles south of Sicily. So they're not that far from Italy and from Rome, but they're not there yet. And they're in Malta, and it is winter time, so they're wet, they're cold, they're soaked to the skin. They are shipwrecked, and there are some 270 Survivors probably very traumatized by what they have just gone through, as is described in detail in Acts 27. And they now, as Acts 28 verse 2 tells us, on the island of Malta they meet uh, natives there, uh, also uh, literally barbarians. Um, that is, linguistically, they were not Hebrews, they were not Romans. They were not Greeks, but they were native to Malta. And there is some um, contempt, I suppose you could say, in the word that was used to describe them in the original language, barbarian. It had reference to the what seemed outlandish sounds that came out of their mouths, bar, bar. It was not a very uh, complimentary uh, word for them that was used by the Romans. But these... Islanders were indigenous to Malta, the ones that are here being described and based in Malta. And they were completely, at this point, unreached with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we see in what takes place here in the opening verses of Acts 28, we see yet again something of the religion of what we might call the natural man. That is the religion of the person who is without Christ. In this case, we could say the religion of a person who was a pagan in the ancient world. And of course, we learn from this things that are true of everybody who is without Christ, which is where we all start uh, until Jesus saves us. So we see here, firstly, something of what the natural man, the person without Christ, is capable of. Uh, We see that he's capable of great kindness. I'm sure Luke, the writer here, is not being um, cynical or tongue-in-cheek as he describes the treatment that they had from the natives, from those in this island. (coughs) He, He says the natives showed us unusual kindness. They kindled a fire and made us all welcome. Here is a man who believes in what theologians call common grace, that there is is the remains, as it were, of the image of God in every human being. 
that not, we're not as bad as we could be. Even if we're unconverted, we're not as bad as a demon. There are still traces of the image of God. Someone has likened it to the Acropolis, that wonderful building in, uh, in Rome. I'm not referring now to its use in worshipping idols, but I'm just referring to the actual building. It's magnificent, but it's a ruin. And that's a picture of man in his sin, magnificent, because he is in the image of God, and yet he's a ruin. He's, he's without Christ. He's born without Christ because of sin, because of original sin. And so we see here something of that magnificence showing through in these natives. They showed us unusual kindness. We shouldn't be afraid to mark the fact that those who do not know Christ can be capable of tremendous kindness. It shouldn't shake our faith, brothers and sisters in Christ. It shouldn't shake our faith. We should just give thanks to God for that. And no doubt these natives had themselves suffered from whatever was going on in Acts 27, the the storm, which seems to be a particularly violent one and a particularly prolonged one. And it's not as though these are uh, natives within the mainland. These are natives on an island and probably had suffered themselves in some respects from the storm. And we see what they're capable of. We see what the natural man, the man without the Lord Jesus Christ as his saviour, the person who's just completely unaware and ignorant of the gospel, we see that such can be capable of great kindness. As he says this, the, Luke says this, the native showed us unusual kindness, for they kindled a fire and made us all welcome. We shouldn't be afraid to recognize that there can be great kindness uh, shown by non-Christians. We shouldn't be, in some sense, feel that that, that we, we can't say that. We shouldn't be miserable about it, dear friends. And, And yet there are things we should also mark in these unbelievers as they were at this point from a Christian angle. It wasn't that they were without religion, as we see in verse 4. No doubt this man is a murderer, whom though he has escaped the sea, yet justice does not allow him to live. They had religious views. They had religious uh, presuppositions. And yet they didn't know Jesus Christ as their saviour at this point. And we see, therefore, that people without Christ are capable, yes, of great kindness, And how thankful we should be for that. And yet in their kindness, they also display their immense ignorance. Their immense spiritual ignorance, I mean. Because as they watch uh, Paul and they see him gather the sticks, they see how the viper comes out of the, the fire and fastens itself upon his hand and they see the creature hanging from his hand. And then they come out with this statement, No doubt this man is a murderer whom, though he has escaped the sea, yet justice does not allow him to live. We see that, yes, they have an awareness of justice. They have an awareness of uh, spiritual realities, so to speak. But they're completely upside down in how they interpret things. 
And we should have a similar, or we should not have that attitude, but we should have a, an awareness that there is that insight, some insight at least, in those who never heard of Christ or never heard the gospel, uh, that uh, they can have a spiritual awareness and yet at the same time they can be so far short of the mark as we see that they, as he shook off the creature into the fire and suffered no harm, however they were expecting that he would swell up or suddenly fall down dead. But after they saw, they had looked for a long time and saw no harm come to him, they changed their minds and said that he was a God. You can just sense the irony there, the gentle irony in Luke. They changed their minds and said that he was a God. It's a picture to us of people without Christ. I'm not saying that everyone without Christ is some sort of ignorant uh, country dweller, as it were, some sort of Roman time barbarian. I'm not saying that at all. But in terms of spiritual perception, those without Christ can be so wrong. And yet, we see that these people do have a spiritual awareness When the natives saw the creature, the snake, the viper hanging from his hand, they said to one another, no doubt this man is a murderer whom though he has escaped the sea, yet justice does not allow to live. They have an awareness, a spiritual awareness. You see, strictly speaking, there is no such thing as an atheist. There's no such thing as a real atheist, I mean. That is someone who really does not believe that there is a God. Because it's deep in our DNA, it's deep upon the atoms of us, uh, that there is a God. Listen to what the Apostle Paul says in Romans chapter 1. He says, The wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth and unrighteousness Because what may be known of God is manifest in them. For God has shown it to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Because although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God. And so it goes on. There's a fifth columnist in the heart of every person. There's something in every person that says, there is a God and you are accountable to him. The Bible does not recognize the existence of any atheist. And I challenge anyone here who thinks that they're an atheist, I challenge you. You are actually contradicting what the word of God so plainly tells us. That we know, and we know that we know, that there is a God. We maybe because of sin in our hearts, we distort that and we make all kinds of ideas out of it which are not correct, but we know deep down that there is a God. We have a sense of right, we have a sense of wrong, a sense of deity, a sense of justice. Even as these people uh, said to one another, no doubt this man When they saw the snake bite Paul, they said, No doubt this man is a murderer whom, though he has escaped the sea, yet justice does not allow him to live. 
They were wrong in how they interpreted it, but they were right in terms of their basic presuppositions of a God, a deity, to whom we are accountable and whom we cannot sin against with impunity. They had that spiritual awareness. And the fact is that no so-called atheist can ever rid himself of these kinds of value judgments. And no unbeliever on the Lord Jesus Christ can ever rid themselves of these things. You only have to listen to all the homespun philosophy of all the homespun philosophers of our native population to know that people are full of ideas about who's right and who's wrong and who deserves this and who deserves that. And they pontificate on it. Because there's this fifth columnist in the heart of every person which tells us there is a God, you are accountable to him. And tonight, here in Zion Church, even if you do not know the Lord Jesus Christ yet as your Savior, I know this about you, even though you would not admit it to yourself, I know that you know that there is a God. No doubt this man is a murderer, whom though he has escaped the sea, yet justice does not allow to live. And we can sense the gentle irony of the evangelist Luke as he tells us all of this. We can sense it. It comes out really quite dramatically in verse 6 of our passage. However, they were expecting, he shook off the creature into the fire, the snake into the fire, and suffered no harm. However, they were expecting that he, Paul, would swell up or suddenly fall down dead. But after they had looked for a long time and saw no harm come to him, they changed their minds and said that he was a god. We can just sense the gentle irony in the evangelist here. And we're meant to sense it. We're meant to sense the futility of this kind of thinking and behavior. We get the same coming through in Acts 14. In the earlier reading, when the people seeing the miracle that Paul did with the man who'd been a cripple from his mother's womb, and he says with a loud voice, stand up straight on your feet. And they start saying the gods have come down to us in the likeness of men and and so on. We, we see again that, that sense of, of, of irony. It's not sarcasm. The evangelists and the prophets of God's word are, are never sarcastic in that sense. Unless they're dealing with evil perhaps. But they're never sarcastic when they deal with the good of human souls. It's irony. And it's a devastating critique. We're meant to feel it. The gods, they say in the Lyconian language, the gods have come down to us in the likeness of men. And Paul and Barnabas are literally running to and fro amongst the people saying, stop it. They tear their clothes as a mark of respect to deity that they're not gods. Men, why are you doing these things? We're of the same nature as you. And we sense the irony that's in the evangelist here when, 
having said with these sayings, they could scarcely restrain the multitudes from sacrificing to them. And then in the next sentence, Luke says, Then Jews from Antioch and Iconium came there, and having persuaded the multitudes, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing him to be dead. One minute they're worshipping him, the next minute they're stoning him. Yes, we see that there's spiritual awareness even amongst those who are not true Christians. Real spiritual awareness. But great darkness. Great strong darkness. That doesn't mean to say not strong views. These people had strong views. They watched Paul expecting him to fall down dead when the snake bit him uh, or expect him to swell up, expecting to see some tremendous thing happen to him. And as, as Luke says with irony, gentle irony, as they looked for a long time, they saw no harm come to him and they changed their minds and said that he was a god. We can just sense the irony. Because when we don't believe in the true and the living God, we believe any kind of of nonsense and it doesn't stand up to analysis it really doesn't I haven't time to go into that in any way but uh, the whole question of origins for example I've never heard one evolutionist explain how the first piece of matter came about nobody can but the Bible does. God's word. And here are people in this passage in Acts 28, Malta. They had religious convictions strongly held, but they were, to be frank, complete nonsense. They were nonsense. They were nonsense in more than one sense. Let me just bring out one thought. They thought that You could determine whether someone was a good person or a bad person by the events that happened to him. No doubt this man is a murderer, whom though he has escaped the sea, yet justice does not suffer him to live, because a snake had bitten him. It didn't mean to say they hadn't been kind. Let's give them credit for that. But they had a completely wrong idea. The wrong idea was this, if you do well, then God is happy with you. If you don't do well, God is angry with you. We have a heresy in the Christian church called prosperity gospel, which teaches much the same thing. If you have six cars, then God must be happy with you. If you have a huge bank balance, that shows that God must be happy happy with you. But the Bible will tell us there is no natural connection between prosperity and whether or not God is happy with you. You might be a godly person like Abraham and be very rich. But you might be very rich and be a wicked person. And we see here and sense their tremendous spiritual awareness and yet their tremendous spiritual darkness. You see, it's not enough for you and I just to have a conscience. It's not enough for just you and I to have spirituality. 
It's not enough for you and I just to have strong views in religious matters, particularly if your family have family traditions in religious matters, because they can be very, very wrong. As we see, these people on the island of Malta were very, very wrong. No doubt this man, Paul, is a murderer, whom, though he has escaped the sea, yet justice does not allow him to live. Strong views and family traditions and religious traditions, however long held, however far back they go, they're not enough. We need something else. And what else we need is this. We need the word of God. We need the Bible to teach us and to show us what life is all about. We need the word of God, not our own so-called insights. Without the word of God and the message of Jesus Christ, which it teaches, we are spiritually dead, we are lost. And that is why the Bible, the New Testament, makes clear that one of the great tasks of the Christian church is to send out missionaries into all the world. And we see the beginning of that great missionary movement with the sending out of Paul and Luke and others, Barnabas and others. And sometimes un- unexpected things happen to them, as we see here in Acts 27 and 28. Uh, here we, we've been reading about a shipwreck. We've been reading about them being cast onto this island of Malta. And yet it leads eventually to the preaching of the gospel of these people in Malta and the conversion of many people who did not have any relationship with God before that. The natural man, the person without Christ, needs this insight and this light to come into their lives through the gospel of Jesus Christ. We don't actually read very much in verses 8 to 10 in our passage about what Paul said to the father of Publius. We read that Paul went into him. This man who's sick from a fever and dysentery went into him and prayed, laid his hands on him and healed him. We read that this happened to the rest of the island. We don't really know what was going on, but we can be sure of this, that Paul preached the gospel. And it strongly suggests, although it doesn't actually say it, In so many words, it strongly suggests that there were many conversions. This is what people need. People without Christ need. The first thing we need is the light that comes from God's word. Not just superstitions. Not just religious ideas. We need spiritual light. The light of Christ. To know who Jesus is. The son of God. Who came into this world to save sinners. Who was born a little baby and yet he was the son of God who lived a perfect sinless life who taught wonderful things which encapsulated and and brought into the consciousness of people the very truths of of God and the love of God and then having lived a perfect sinless life he gave that life up as a ransom for many as he was crucified for sinners And raised from the dead for our newness of life as we trust in him. And the person without Christ needs that. 
And we see how the Apostle Paul here is, what a missionary he is. He's been shipwrecked like the others, the other few hundred others. And there he is, it's the rain's falling, Luke tells us. It's cold, it's miserable, isn't it? They're wet through. They've just escaped it with their lives. And there's Paul gathering a bundle of sticks to make a fire. Thinking of others. Calm, quiet, trusting in God. What an example he is. You know, there was once a famous Bible scholar in Puritan era called Matthew Henry. He's left behind a commentary, actually, a very good commentary. One day he was accosted by thieves and robbed. And in his diary he wrote this. Let me be thankful first because I was never robbed before. Second, because they took my purse and not my life. Third, because although they took my all, it was not much. And fourth, because it was I who was robbed, not I who robbed. What an example of quiet trust and calmness and indeed spiritual discernment. That's what we see in the Apostle Paul here. He's escaped with his life and he's gathering sticks and he's making a fire and he's going to look after the others. That's what people need, that kind of Christ-like living and love. And then in verse 8, we see his compassion as he uh, heals the father of Publius, sick from a fever and dysentery. He goes into him and he prays and he lays his hands on him and he heals him. And the fact that he prays shows that he did it in the name of Christ and not in his own name. You see, this is God using his servant, using his missionary servant, the Apostle Paul. This isn't a man with some sort of program or technique, with some sort of big idea. Here's a man who, whether he's shipwrecked and sitting there cold uh, by the side of the sea and gathering himself together to go and collect sticks with the others, or whether he's in the sea and, and uh, swimming for shore, or whether he's in some other situation, He's a servant of God. He's a lover of men. He's a, someone who's seeking to win the souls of men. He's not living out some sort of program or technique. He's a servant of Jesus Christ. And God blesses and uses him. Well, just a few thoughts to encourage our hearts tonight as we close the year. And to perhaps challenge you, to challenge you, firstly, challenge me with the needs of people who do not know the Lord as their saviour. People who just have natural religion so-called. People who are ignorant of the gospel. And they come to such wrong and fierce conclusions. Sometimes downright unkind conclusions as they watch Paul expect him to swell up with snake bite, with snake venom. And then they changed their minds. You can sense the irony of the evangelist here. When they saw no harm come to him, they changed their minds and said that he was a God. You can sense the, the irony, the gentle irony. That's the need of people, brothers and sisters, if 
you're not a Christian, it's your need. Your need is for Jesus Christ. Your need is to forget your traditions and all those ideas, those half-baked ideas that you've inherited. We all have to do that and to come to the word of God and read it and believe it and come to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ as our own personal saviour and to enter into the same loving peace and kindness and gentleness that the Apostle Paul shows here as he so unselfishly ministers to others. That's what we need. That's what men and women need.